<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, Heart of Healthcare listeners. This is your host, Hallie Tecco. The U.S. healthcare system is an enormous and complex web of institutions, patients, providers, payers, researchers, and regulatory frameworks intricately interconnected to deliver a wide range of health services, yet burdened by issues of cost, access, and quality. If you have had any interactions with the healthcare system whatsoever, you have probably experienced the labyrinth nature of its processes, from navigating insurance coverage and understanding medical bills to coordinating between different healthcare providers, all of which highlight the complexity and potential for confusion inherent in our current system. Today on the podcast, I'm reading an article from my blog that dives into the key stakeholders, the four P's of healthcare, Providers, Payers, Pharma, and Patients, by exploring the roles, incentives, and interdependencies of these stakeholders, we can gain a better understanding of why our healthcare system works the way it does. Let's start with healthcare providers and the labyrinth of patient care. At the heart of the U.S. healthcare system are its healthcare providers. These are the doctors, nurses, and healthcare professionals who deliver direct care to patients. They operate in a variety of settings, ranging from private practices and hospital systems to nursing homes and home health care. Healthcare providers in the U.S. are largely private. Let's talk about hospitals. According to data from the American Hospital Association, about 49% of hospitals are nonprofit. 20% are for-profit, and 18% are government-owned. There are nearly 1 million beds across these hospitals, and there were over 34 million admissions to these beds in 2021. Just because a hospital is a nonprofit does not mean it does not profit. In fact, one study found that mean operating profits in 2019 were $58.6 million for nonprofit hospitals. And a little less than that at $43.4 million for for-profit hospitals. But they use those profits to provide charity care, right? Actually, nonprofit hospitals have been found to have worse ratios of charity care to total expenses than for-profit hospitals. And 86% of nonprofit hospitals do not provide more charity care than the value of their tax exemption. So while 49% of hospitals are nonprofit, they might not necessarily be fulfilling the charitable mission that their tax-exempt status applies. 
This raises important questions about the accountability and social responsibility of nonprofit hospitals, leading to a broader debate on how healthcare should be delivered and financed in a way that prioritizes patient care and public health. Another important thing to understand is how hospitals set prices and get paid. Hospitals create a charge master list of all billable activities, which they are now required to publish. And on my website, you can find the link um, to all the hospitals and the charge masters in California. You can just Google it for other states. Private insurers generally negotiate a discount to the charge master. And public insurers, like Medicare, pay the lowest rates given that they set their own prices using something called inpatient prospective payment system, IPPS. The ones who pay the most are uninsured cash-paying patients. Let's talk about physicians who are undeniably at the forefront of the U.S. healthcare system, providing a wide array of services from preventive care to acute treatment and chronic disease management. Their roles, numbers, and ways of remuneration have evolved significantly over time and are crucial components of our understanding of the healthcare system. The number of physicians in the United States has been on an upward trajectory. Today, there are over 1 million active physicians, an increase of more than 17% over the last decade. This number is growing mostly because of an increase in specialists. The number and percent of primary care physicians has actually fallen in this time. Yet many believe we are facing a looming physician shortage, with estimates from the Association of American Medical Colleges suggesting a shortfall of between 37,800 and 124,000 physicians by 2034. What's driving this shortage? The time and cost of medical training, increasing physician burnout, rising malpractice suits, and growing disenchantment with the complexities and inefficiencies of the healthcare system. Let's talk about nurses. As the most trusted profession for the last 20 years, nurses make up the highest percentage of the U.S. healthcare workforce and really serve as the primary providers of patient care. We know the critical role nurses play in our healthcare system. They are the backbone of patient care. A 2018 meta-analysis found that the higher the level of nurse staffing in a hospital, the fewer patient deaths there were. Unfortunately, we're also facing a nursing crisis and looming shortage. One study showed that more than 70% of healthcare workers in the country have symptoms of anxiety and depression. 38% have symptoms of PTSD, and 15% have had recent thoughts of suicide or self-harm. The pandemic exacerbated the looming nursing shortage across the country, and a recent McKinsey survey found that more than 30% of nurses are currently thinking of leaving direct patient care. Not only will this be an even bigger strain on the nurses who stay, but it also puts patient lives at risk. The last category within the provider section is pharmacists. They play a crucial, often underappreciated role in our healthcare system. These highly trained professionals are not simply dispensers of medication. They are an integral part of the healthcare team, providing patient care that optimizes the use of medication and promotes health, wellness, and disease prevention. 
the scope of pharmacists' roles has expanded significantly over the year. They now provide even more services, including administering vaccines, conducting health and wellness screenings, providing personalized medication counseling, and helping manage chronic diseases such as diabetes, asthma, and hypertension in collaboration with other healthcare providers. Pharmacists are one of the most accessible healthcare professionals. The vast majority of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy, providing easy access to patients, particularly those in otherwise underserved areas. This accessibility puts pharmacists in a prime position to act as frontline healthcare providers, answering patient questions and addressing their health concerns. Let's talk about the second P, payers. Health insurance, the cornerstone of access. Access to healthcare in the U.S. largely hinges on health insurance. The system, rather than a single payer or an entirely government-funded model, is the dominant method of accessing and paying for healthcare services. Most Americans access health insurance through their employers, which is bonkers since people stay in their jobs an average of just four years. I can't even count how many health plans I've been on and the headache every time I need to select a new plan. Employment-based health insurance is a quirk in our system that was solidified during World War II when, due to wage and price controls, employers began providing health benefits to attract and retain employees, a practice that was further encouraged by the IRS's tax-deductible status for these contributions. Today, employer-sponsored plans cover about half of the population. These plans are primarily provided by private insurance companies, although employers bear a significant portion of the costs. This model of health coverage has many disadvantages. First, job lock. This is when people feel stuck in their job because they need the benefits, reducing mobility across jobs and creating inefficiencies in the labor market. And it means employees are also somewhat insulated from understanding the true costs of insurance premiums. Second, employer-based insurance is really bad for small business. It puts small businesses, which make up 99% of employers and 66% of new private sector jobs, at a disadvantage. Since they don't benefit from a larger pool of insured employees, it leads to higher administrative costs. The escalating costs of healthcare can be a significant burden for small employers, potentially impacting their competitiveness. And don't get me started on how hard it is to offer health insurance to employees of a startup with employees who are distributed across the country. Third, it's really inefficient. These tax incentives can lead to overinsurance and the use of excessively generous plans by some. This contributes to increased spending on low-value care and higher overall health care costs. Lastly, but most concerningly, allowing health care insurance premiums to be excluded from income results in tax expenditures, subsidies, that are inequitably concentrated in higher-income individuals. In fact, research shows that lower-income families with employer coverage spend a greater share of their income on health care costs than those with higher incomes. Families making under 52 k actually pay 7.7% of their income on employer-based health insurance premiums versus just 2.3% for high earners. In addition to employer-sponsored insurance, many Americans receive coverage through government programs. These include Medicare, 
which provides health coverage for individuals age 65 and older or with certain disabilities, and Medicaid, which provides health coverage for low-income individuals and families. The way I was taught to remember which one is which is we care for the elderly via Medicare and we aid the poor via Medicaid. Established in 1965, Medicare and Medicaid are two critical payers. Together, they provide health insurance coverage for 37% of the U.S. population, about equally divided between the two. Medicare is a federal program that provides health coverage for people age 65 and over, and it's divided into parts A, B, C, and D, each of which covers different types of health services. It's administered by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. And interestingly, administrative costs are only 2%, compared to about 17% for private insurers. The Affordable Care Act, ACA, also known as Obamacare, introduced significant reforms to the way Medicare payments are handled with the aim to improve healthcare quality and reduce costs. This included value-based purchasing, This program adjusts payments to hospitals based on the quality of care they provide. Hospitals are assessed on a variety of measures, including patient satisfaction, the efficiency of care, and patient outcomes. Hospitals that perform better on those measures receive higher payments. And there's the readmission reduction program. To discourage unnecessary hospital readmissions, the ACA introduced financial penalties for hospitals with higher than expected readmission rates for certain conditions. This incentivizes hospitals to improve discharge planning and post-discharge care to ensure patients don't need to return to the hospital. And lastly, bundled payments. The ACA expanded the use of bundled payments, which provide a single payment for all services related to a specific treatment or condition, instead of paying for each individual service. This encourages care coordination and efficiency among providers. The ACA also established the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which encourages the formation of accountable care organizations, ACOs, These are groups of doctors, hospitals, and other providers who come together voluntarily to provide coordinated, high-quality care to their Medicare patients. The goal is to ensure that patients get the right care at the right time while avoiding unnecessary duplication of services and preventing medical errors. If an ACO meets quality performance standards and their spending is less than a defined benchmark, they are allowed to share in the savings they achieve for the Medicare program. Medicaid is a joint federal and state program that provides health coverage to people with low income, including some low income adults, children, pregnant women, elderly adults, and people with disabilities. Medicaid programs must follow federal guidelines, but they also vary somewhat state to state. Most states require that Medicaid enrollees participate in Medicaid managed care. There are two types of managed care models in addition to fee for service. There are managed care organizations where states contract with MCOs, which are private insurance companies. The state pays the MCO a set amount per enrollee, and the MCO is responsible for providing for their health care needs. The goal is to manage the care of Medicaid recipients more efficiently and effectively, potentially saving money and improving health outcomes. 
And then there's primary care case management, where states pay a monthly fee to primary care providers for case management, in addition to fee-for-service primary care. Managed care is intended to help control costs while also coordinating care more effectively, particularly for patients with multiple healthcare needs. However, evidence on spending, utilization, and health outcomes is mixed. One of my former professors talked about the notch effect when a Medicaid-eligible person has to make the trade-off between earning a higher income versus losing their Medicaid benefits. While it makes sense, I couldn't find any reliable or recent studies on the topic. Despite these various forms of coverage, a portion of the American population remains uninsured. According to the Census Bureau, 8.3% of the population are uninsured, which is defined as not having health insurance at any point during the year. This nationwide figure marks significant disparities among states. So in 2021, the uninsured rate ranged from 2.5% in Massachusetts to a whopping 18% in Texas. These variations reveal the impact of different state policies, economic conditions, and demographics on healthcare coverage. Such a wide range points to the complex challenges in achieving universal coverage and also raises questions about equity and access, as those in states with higher uninsured rates face greater barriers to essential healthcare services. Okay, now on to the third P in healthcare stakeholders, pharma. With 60% of U.S. adults taking at least one prescription drug and 25% taking four or more prescription medications, the pharmaceutical industry is a key player in our healthcare system. The U.S. pharmaceutical industry leads the world in the development of new medications, particularly in areas of unmet medical needs fueled by extensive research and development activities. Pharmaceutical companies invest billions of dollars annually in the pursuit of new and improved treatments. But why are drugs so expensive? Prescription drug prices in the U.S. are significantly higher than in other nations, with prices ranging from 2.56x than those seen in 32 peer nations. In 2019, we spent over $1,000 per capita on prescription medications, compared to $552 per capita in comparable countries. And this includes spending from insurers and out-of-pocket costs. Okay, so why are they so expensive? If you ask the pharma companies, they'll tell you it's because innovation is expensive. They'll point to the fact that R&D costs as a percentage of sales is higher for pharma than other industries. But if you talk to others, you might hear that it's simply because pharma can raise prices on drugs, and no one in the U.S. is stopping them. Pharma is the only major healthcare stakeholder that is able to exercise relatively unrestrained pricing power. They can set the prices paid by Medicare and Medicaid for new drugs. They also have the upper hand with private insurers who are obligated to cover many new drugs. Every one of the 210 new drugs approved by the FDA from 2010 to 2016 was associated with scientific research funded by the National Institute of Health, the NIH. This research, paid for by taxpayers, 
encompassed over 200,000 years of grant funding, amounting to more than $100 billion. Public funding has been instrumental in basic research exploring the biological targets for drug action. And while it doesn't fund the development of the drugs themselves, it certainly offsets some of the initial R&D costs that would otherwise be incurred by the pharmaceutical companies. So thank you, taxpayers, for laying the groundwork for many medical advances. Given that large pharmaceutical companies have median net income margins of 13.8%, other large corporations on the S&P 500 are about 7.7%, some think that taxpayers should benefit more from the research we fund. And I'm inclined to agree. Pharmacy benefits managers, PBMs, emerged as a somewhat peculiar byproduct of the idiosyncrasies ingrained within our healthcare system. Operating entirely in the background, PBMs are enormous standalone businesses that manage prescription drug benefits on behalf of health insurers, Medicare Part D drug plans, large employers, and other payers. The primary purpose of PBMs is to negotiate with pharmaceutical manufacturers and pharmacies to secure lower drug costs for their clients. Their methods include implementing formularies, lists of preferred drugs, negotiating rebates for manufacturers, and establishing pharmacy networks. Formularies are designed to encourage the use of lower-cost drugs, typically by placing them on lower tiers with reduced copays. PBMs leverage the sheer volume of potential patient base to negotiate rebates and discounts with pharmaceutical companies who obviously want to have their drugs included in these formularies. Some argue that while these rebates may lower costs for insurers and PBMs, they don't necessarily translate to lower out-of-pocket costs for consumers. In fact, the list price of drugs, which is the starting point for these negotiations, continues to rise, which especially affects the uninsured or those with high deductible plans. And now we'll discuss the last P, patients. They are the ultimate stakeholder, or they should be. In this healthcare labyrinth, the patients are the epicenter. We bear the direct impact of the steps and missteps of every other stakeholder. Patients are the end consumers of healthcare. We use the care offered by the providers, rely on the medications produced by pharma, and depend on payers to help us navigate and pay for it all. We're not merely passive receivers of care, but active participants who make decisions about our own health. To do this effectively, we need the right information, resources, and support. Yet patients face numerous hurdles in their healthcare journey. It's a bit like navigating this labyrinth blindfolded. The system is confusing. Information is often hard to understand. And the cost of care is completely opaque until you're already knee deep in bills. A majority of patients also report feeling rushed during doctor's visits as if they're a cog in this machine. This lack of personal attention and time constraint can prevent patients from fully understanding their health issues and the care they're receiving. The healthcare experience can also be disjointed with poor coordination amongst multiple providers. This fragmentation leads to duplicated services, medication errors, and often conflicting advice. Americans are not pleased with the state of our healthcare system. In fact, the U.S. has the highest dissatisfaction of healthcare. 
According to a recent Gallup poll, the perception of the quality of U.S. healthcare is worsening. Less than half of the respondents, 48%, rate the healthcare system as excellent or good. This represents a slight dip from the 50% in 2021 and is notably below the 62% peak achieved twice in the early 2010s and the average rating of 55% since 2001. A record 21% now categorize the system as poor, with an additional 31% rating it as fair. 20% of people believe our healthcare system is in a state of crisis, the highest level since 2013, and cost remains a major pain point. 76% are dissatisfied with the total cost of healthcare in this country. There's a lot of buzz around patient engagement and empowerment. It's about shifting from a paternalistic model of care to a partnership model where patients are active participants in their health. This includes things like shared decision-making, where patients and providers work together to make healthcare decisions. But patient engagement and empowerment isn't just about individual behavior. It's also about changing the healthcare system to better support patients. This could involve everything from improving health literacy to promoting patient rights to creating patient-friendly healthcare environments. Regina Hertzlinger, often dubbed the godmother of consumer-driven healthcare, was early in positing that making healthcare more consumer-centered would lead to increased efficiency, improved quality of care, and greater innovation in the sector. She advocates for a system where consumers have the ability to choose their own healthcare providers and health plans. The rationale is that when consumers have the power to choose, it fosters competition, which can lead to improvements in quality, cost, and service. Consumers should have full access to information regarding costs and outcomes, which would empower them to make educated decisions about their health care. And a key tenant of the consumer-driven approach is increased transparency in pricing and performance. Patients should have the ability to compare the prices of procedures, treatments, and medications between different providers or pharmacies, much like how we would compare the prices for any other product or service. Likewise, transparency about provider performance would allow patients to compare the quality of care and outcomes between different healthcare providers or institutions. The idea is that a more consumer-driven healthcare system would spur innovation. When consumers are actively choosing and paying for healthcare, providers are incentivized to innovate in order to attract and retain patients. This could lead to the development of new treatments, technologies, and care delivery models. The U.S. healthcare system remains a multifaceted and challenging landscape for patients who stand at the epicenter. The recent dip in satisfaction ratings, coupled with persistent dissatisfaction with costs, reflects the hurdles patients face in obtaining quality, affordable care. Whether it's the feeling of being rushed during a medical visit or the complexity of pricing and treatment options, the patient experience is often marked by confusion and dissatisfaction. And the current discourse around patient engagement, empowerment, and consumer-driven healthcare reflects an urgent need for a wholesale transformation. A more transparent, coordinated, patient-centered approach could lead to a more efficient, quality-driven healthcare system that places the needs and preferences of patients at its core. The quest for a healthcare model that is not only consumer-friendly, but also encourages and rewards innovation is paramount in shaping a future where patients are not just passive receivers of care, but informed and empowered 
partners in their health journey. So in closing, in the journey through the U.S. healthcare system with its extensive network of stakeholders, complexity often overshadows clarity. Our healthcare system, while striving to deliver healthcare services, is persistently challenged by concerns over cost, access, quality, and satisfaction. Our healthcare system is complex not because it needs to be, but because of the multifaceted interactions between various stakeholders, conflicting interests, lack of transparency, regulatory requirements, and a legacy of decisions and random quirks that have accumulated over time. Such historical nuances have contributed to layers of bureaucracy and inefficiency that often serve the interest of certain stakeholders at the expense of others, particularly the patients. The challenge ahead is to untangle this complexity, creating a system that prioritizes patient needs and promotes innovation, accessibility, and quality care for all. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our host is Hallie Tecco. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.